We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lourdes by donating to the Future Full of Hope Capital Campaign at lourdesdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I hope you hope you like our new altar. Deacon Daryl and I worked hard to put it together this week. Um, no, just kidding, obviously. We're not going to talk too much about our, our new elements of our church today. Uh, we'll preach about them in the future. At some point, I want to teach you about why we chose those different symbols that go around the altar. And I'll teach you about why we chose those. A church is meant to teach you about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and we'll get to that. All week long when I was preparing for today for Mass and for preaching, my heart was going after one theme, and God changed it. But I want to mention this at the start because it's important. Uh, today's Gospel reading is really important for the church scandals. If you're not upset about the church scandals, and I know it's been going on for a while, but if you've never been upset about them, something's wrong. We're generally, we're indifferent to things that are not of value to us. And if you haven't been upset about the church scandals, it probably means you haven't held the church in, in light of the value she deserves. The church is a mystical, incredibly powerful, beautiful thing of God. It's a mystery of God. And it's been defiled by the actions of the hierarchy. And you and I should be absolutely devastated by that. We should be outraged by it. If you haven't been outraged by it, something's wrong. You should be angry about the church scandals. Because it defiles something beautiful. Right, defiles the bride of Christ. Right, something that Jesus and someone, the church is, is feminine. The scandals defile someone that Jesus died for. And so all of us should be enraged, but today in our gospel, right, so importantly, today's gospel, the context of this, it's not just a random parable about anybody. Scripture scholars tell us that today's parable is specifically about the leadership of the church. And Jesus encourages those who have leadership in the church that if they live lives of vigilance, watchfulness, and if they lay down their lives as servants, there is great reward that comes. But if they do not, if they live for themselves and if they live dishonorably, a severe judgment awaits them. A severe judgment. And brothers and sisters, that's it's kind of a scary thing. It scares me as a priest. God has given me a tremendous responsibility. And it kind of scares me. And so two things I want to ask you to pray for Pope Francis, for the bishops of the church, and for priests. We need good holy priests and bishops and popes. But there's also a good thing about judgment. 
Judgment is about God protecting things that matter. And the church matters. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. The church in her essence is holy. And God will judge those who defile the church. And that's good. It's a good thing because we want to protect the things that we love and things that matter. Finally, a bit of an altar call today. Uh, if you don't know what that is, we'll talk later. I became a priest for a lot of different reasons, but one of them was not because, and just frankly, it is not because I was inspired by priests. I wasn't. My experience of, of priests, there were many good priests I encountered in my life, but I wasn't inspired by them. It was kind of the opposite in my calling. What happened was I encountered him. And the more I studied our faith, our beautiful, majestic, transcendent, glorious faith, the more I encountered it, the more I realized what was happening in the church was people were not hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was utterly convinced of that. And I told God, I said, Lord, I don't know that I can do any better, but I want to try. Because I have encountered you in the scriptures and in the sacraments and in the glorious teachings of your church, but I'm not encountering you in homilies. And so gentlemen, ladies as well, but I want to put a particular call out to you gentlemen. Some of you in this church are called to priesthood. And the church needs holy, zealous men of God who will lay down their lives to serve the church. And there have not been enough from this parish. And we're going to do a raffle after Mass. <laughs> no. But I mean it. I'm serious. Some of you are called to priesthood. Some of you are called to lay down your lives. Some of you should be looking at the church scandal and saying, this is awful. I love the church of God that he died for. And I need to step up to help make things right. I need to lay my life down and give up the things I desire so that I can serve Jesus Christ and his church. So that's super intense, but I mean it. We need men of God who will be holy priests and who will help bring the church back to where she should be. So we pray for all the leaders of the church, for Pope Francis, for all the bishops, but we pray that they would be purified, myself included, and that the church would be restored to her splendor. Okay, you ready for homily number two? When I went to Spain the first time, on the first Camino I did, we took this priest with us. And I was in my, I had just finished my first year of seminary. We took a, a priest from Montana, and he was a delightful priest, really good man, and he was horrifically out of shape. And for some reason, he said yes to a group of 20-somethings who said, We're gonna, you want to come walk hundreds of miles across northern Spain with us? He was like, of course. So he came, and the Camino is amazing, and he did a lot of great things on that trip. He was a, a great blessing to all of us. But he was also hilarious. He was quite, quite the character. And our first day, my good friend, who's now a priest as well, uh, Father Jason Wunsch, he and I were walking with Father Bob, and Father Bob 
starts, he's really hurting on the first day. His pack's heavy, his feet start to hurt, he's sweating a lot. And halfway through the first day, he turns to Jason and I and he says, now I know what Jesus felt like on the cross. And Jason looked at me with that look that said, it's the first day. And so at that moment, we got to the next town we were headed towards. And when we got to that town, we had Father Bob take off his backpack, and we started going through it. And Father Bob had way too many things in his backpack. When you travel on the Camino, you want a light pack. 40 pounds may not sound like that much to you. When you're walking 13 miles a day after day after day after day, 40 pounds is a lot. Father Bob had way too much in his pack, including, of course, a printer. Why would you not bring a printer on, you know, a 300-mile hike? He had a printer in his backpack. He had all kinds of things. So Father Jason and I started going through his backpack and unloading things. We, put a, we went in that town. We found a post office, and we mailed a bunch of stuff to our final destination. And then we took the rest of it, and we kind of divvied it up among the different members of the pilgrimage. Got better after that a little bit, but it helped Father Bob. Here's the point today. Christianity is a pilgrimage. Christianity is a pilgrimage. It is a pilgrimage. It is a pilgrimage. And if you're going to get brothers and sisters to where you're supposed to be, you have got to pack light. You have to pack light. Christians are not attached to the things of this world the way other people are. And when God calls you and he's going to call you and he's going to say, come with me. Come walk with me. Come follow me. It's going to be a hard road, brothers and sisters. It's worth it. It's more than worth it. It's, in fact, the only thing worth living for. But it's going to be hard for you to accomplish if you've got a heavy pack. And God's going to ask you to empty it out. He's going to say, put that down. Let's go through your bag. Let's figure out what you've got in there. And let's get rid of some things that you shouldn't be carrying. Our second reading today is from Hebrews 11. Such an awesome chapter of the Bible. And in Hebrews 11, the author goes through all these different heroes of the Old Testament, the great saints of the Old Testament. And he talks about how they were strangers and sojourners. They were pilgrims. So the author says, all of these, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and King David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Judith and Esther and Ruth, right? These all died in faith. not having received what was promised, but having seen it and greeted it from afar, they were going somewhere. And they trusted God and they said, this world is not my home. They saw it and they greeted it from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Skipping down a couple of verses, it says, 
They desire a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. As Coloradans, we're, we're so prideful, aren't we? Right? Friends of mine, they moved to Colorado. I have friends who have lived here for like 50 years, but they weren't born here, and we're like, not a Coloradan. Don't really belong here. Me? Native. Right here. AKA, I'm better than you. Get out of my state. You are not a Coloradan. You're not. You're not an American. You are a citizen of heaven. That's who you are. This is not your homeland. It is not where you belong. I love Colorado. I always will. You do not belong here. You belong to God. And Christians know that. The early church knew this so well. I'm so inspired by the early church. The early church. So sometimes I'll say what's called Eucharistic prayer number one. Eucharistic prayer number one, it goes through all these different saints. And in one part, it lists the early popes of the church. Now, I don't usually do that prayer because it's the longest. And, you know, well, you know why. <laughs> but in one part of that prayer, in Eucharistic prayer one, we, talk, we invoke the early popes. The first pope of the church was St. Peter. And then it goes, Linus, Cletus, Clement. The fourth pope of the church was someone named Pope St. Clement. And I'm going to read you a quote from him. Do you know the rest of the names? Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John and Paul, Cosmos and Damien, and all your saints. It's kind of fun. Here's what St. Clement I says. He writes a letter in the year 96. Right, he lived in the 90s. Not the 1990s, which were totally awesome, but the 90s. And just think about this. This letter was written probably before the New Testament was finished being written. Probably before the New Testament was finished being written. 96 AD, Clement of Rome most likely knew some of the apostles personally. And he says this, he says, he writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, from the parochoi of the church of God in Rome to the parochoi of the church of God at Corinth. What does parochoi mean? Parochoi is a word used in Hebrews 11. Parochoi in the plural, in the singular, it just means someone who is a sojourner, an alien, someone who doesn't belong. In the plural, parochoi, what that means is it means a community of exiles. And so St. Clement says, from the community of exiles of the Church of God at Rome to the community of exiles of the Church of God at Corinth. Now here's the really cool thing. You know the word parochoi. You know it. 
That word has been translated down through history. It made its way through different languages. It came into English. And in English, the word parokoi is perish. We are the parish of Our Lady of Lords. What is a parish? A parish is a group of people who know that this is not their home. It's a community of people who know that their only home is God himself. Lord, I am home anywhere if you are where I am. That's my home. That's what a parish is. One more quote. The early church was so beautiful about this. In the year 125, there's an early Christian who goes by Methetes, which is a word for disciple. But Methetes, there's a, a Roman governor who's asking him, what are Christians? Who are they? And he writes to Diognetes. And he says this. He says, Christians are indistinguishable from other men either by nationality, language, or customs, right? You can't walk on the street and see a Christian unless it's Sister Mary Casey. You see her and you're like, she's a Christian. You see me in my collar, you know I'm a Christian. But most people, right, you can't do that. You can't see a normal person by the way they dress and tell if they're a Christian. With regard to dress, food, and manner in life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in whether it is Greek or foreign. But there is something extraordinary about their lives. And listen to this. This is what a Christian is. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Did you hear that? Listen one more time. Any country can be their homeland. But for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. I love the United States. I always will. But it is not my home. The city of God is my home. And the more I love the city of God, it makes me a better person in this time and in this place. Methetus goes on, he says, like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Do you know what your homeland is? If you don't, if you forget where you belong, if you forget that you belong to heaven, if you don't remind yourself that you belong to the kingdom of God, and that is the only place you belong, if you forget that, you will live for this world. You will live for power and money and comfort and pleasure. Because something will fill that void. But those of us who know that we belong to the city of God, 
We don't have to have those things because we're waiting for something better. And we know that God has promised that to us. So you got to lighten your bag. Brothers and sisters, if you're a pilgrim, right? We're on our way. We're not arrived yet. you got to lighten your bag. And God's going to ask you. He's going to say, you know, I know you've got that great job. You don't have to quit it, maybe. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll be like, quit that. Go be a priest. But maybe he'll just ask you to be less attached to it. Maybe that relationship in your life, and you love this person, but you know it's not a good relationship. God's going to say, get that out of your bag. You're going to be happier when you get rid of it. You're going to live differently in this life than other people. God always asks us, and he's going to ask you for something you don't want to give him. I don't like it when you do that. But he does. He does. He always asks us for things that we don't want to give him. And I want to tell you about in Hebrews 11 today, it talks about how Abraham gave up Isaac. Abraham is an old man. And Abraham's hope is no longer for himself. He doesn't have any more hopes. He's lived a long life. He's an old man. He doesn't have hope for himself. His hope is in his son. Maybe you have a, a father or a grandfather or a mother or grandmother like this. Their hope isn't for themselves anymore. It's for you. And Abraham's hope is for Isaac. And God says, give me Isaac. Give me your son. None of us have been asked for something like that. God says, give me your son. How could Abraham do that? We wonder that today. How could Abraham possibly surrender his son? How could any of us do that? If someone today tried that, we would all call the police. God's stripping Abraham. How could he do it? The author of Hebrews tells us. I hope you heard this today. He said, Abraham, who had received the promises, was ready to offer his only begotten son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your descendants be named. Isaac is Abraham's everything. How could he do it? He considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead. And hence, he did receive him back, and this was a symbol. The author of the letter to the Hebrews tells us the reason Abraham was able to offer up Isaac is because thousands of years before it happened, our father in faith, Abraham, believed in the resurrection. He believed in the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, whatever God takes from you, whatever he asks from you, you will receive it back a hundredfold in the resurrection. And it'll hurt, but it's always for the best. You do not belong to this world. You do not belong to Colorado. You do not belong to the United States. You belong to heaven. And if you live that way, if you have that hope in your heart, Brothers and sisters, you will live holy lives. Jesus, today, Lord, we pray for Pope Francis. 
We pray for the bishops of the church. We pray for all who have leadership. Lord God, that you would make them good stewards, that they might have a reward in heaven and not a judgment. And Lord, we pray for ourselves. Jesus, may we remember, Lord, I am home anywhere if you are where I am. May we live for heaven. Jesus, may we pack lightly. 